you are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Does Doctrine Matter? Hello again, my radio friends. I'm glad you've joined me today for another in the series, Give Me the Bible. I'm very glad you want to know what the Bible teaches. It is a book beyond any other book, because it is from God, who, of course, loves you. The Bible is above Shakespeare and Tolstoy, good as they may be. Why is the Bible so good, you may be thinking? The reason is that the Bible points out the way of salvation, the way to eternal life. Shakespeare and Tolstoy may have been literary geniuses, but only God can provide eternal life. Shakespeare and Tolstoy are dead. But God is eternal. He lives and he is willing to allow us sinful human beings to also partake of eternal life, provided we're willing to accept the conditions. Today we will be looking at the issues around doctrines, that is, beliefs. Tony Palmer Pope Francis's Anglican friend and envoy once addressed a large gathering of Pentecostal leaders in the United States. In his appeal to these people to come home to Rome, Palmer said something to this effect. Let us all be one. Don't worry about doctrine. We'll sort that out when we get up there as he pointed up to heaven. So, here we have a dilemma. Palmer was intimating that it's not important that Protestants hold separate and particular beliefs based on the Word of God. As far as he was concerned, to be united under Roman Catholic leadership was of greater value than obeying God. I heard what Tony Palmer had to say and I felt like shouting out, You are so wrong! You are deceiving people! Not long after this, Palmer died in an accident in England and is no longer out there spreading false teachings and leading people astray. Maybe, maybe Palmer met God's judgment earlier than he expected. Many people will go astray because they do not read or study their Bibles. Those who do study their Bibles are able to see what is true and what is false. Same applies to you. 
you can be easily led astray if you leave your spiritual education up to others. But if you study and check for yourself, you are much more able to see what is truth and what is error. But there is another issue regarding the teachings of the Bible, the doctrines. It's this. Most Protestants are firmly agreed that there is only one way to be saved, and that is through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ and his subsequent resurrection. The most famous text in the Bible about salvation and being saved is John 3.16. But there are plenty of others that say much the same thing. Let's have a look at Mark 16.16. Jesus is speaking. He says, Whoever believes in me and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So, the first and vital step to being saved is believing that Jesus is our Saviour. But does it stop there? That's the issue. Do you remember when you first rode a bike? I do. My experience was on my friend's bike and it happened at his place. There they had a long, sandy driveway about 150 metres long and it sloped downhill. It was in the country, of course. My friend managed to get me balanced and then gave me a push and off I went, wobbling down the driveway. At the end of the driveway was a shed and who was standing right in my pathway it was my friend's dad, and he had to move very sprightly to avoid being run down. You see, I didn't know how to stop. Oh yes, I could ride a bike now, so nothing else was needed. Well, some so-called Christians have the same attitude toward doctrine. They have the primary belief that they are saved because of the sacrifice of Christ and so they stop their spiritual growth at that point. But there is so much more. If God had intended that all we needed in our spiritual growth was the message of salvation, then why did he include so much else in the Bible? My bike riding skills have improved considerably since that first riding experience. I now know how to stop, how to change gears, how to ride safely, how to pass, how to give way, how to repair punctures, how to make adjustments and how to fix things that go wrong. In the same way, the writer of the book of Hebrews Probably the Apostle Paul says this about our spiritual growth. Chapters five, chapter 5, verses 13 and 14 says, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, 
who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. To become a good tennis player, you have to do more than pick up a racket and hit a ball. Likewise, to become a good engineer requires lots of study and being proficient in many disciplines. Would you go to a doctor who only knows how to perform basic first aid? The same goes for Christians. We are not to remain as babies. We are to learn and study as it says in 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles the word of truth. And this is reiterated in the book of First Peter 3 verse 15 where it says always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have doctrines you will get from the bible are not in isolation they magnify that most important fact that jesus is our savior let's see Let's see how all that works. Take, for example, the origin of sin. We've dealt with this previously, but sin came into this young and beautiful unspoilt planet through God's enemy, Satan. Since those early times, sin has increased. Because the wages of death uh, wages of sin is death. All sinners, that is, the whole of mankind, is doomed unless our loving God stepped in and did something about it. Because there was sin, we needed a saviour. Now, what about the Ten Commandments, the law? Sin is breaking, that is, going against God's holy law. If there was no law, there would be no sin. And if there was no sin, there would be no need of a saviour. Not only that, but the Ten Commandments show human beings the right way to live, how to protect society, and how we can expect to be protected. What about the Sabbath? The fourth commandment outlines how we can honour our Creator and Redeemer by showing that we love Him by obeying what He has asked us to do. Coupled with that, it shows how we may give respect to other people by not expecting them to do anything we would not want to do. What about the doctrine regarding death? The Bible clearly shows that death is a state of total lack of activity. There are no thoughts, there is no movement, no consciousness. The Bible does not teach that when someone dies they take on a new form of existence and go on living as something else in a different place. If that were the case, 
then the business about Jesus being our saviour would be a total farce, a sick joke. Who needs a saviour if you go on living anyway? What about baptism? Baptism is a symbol of dying and being resurrected. Dying to the old sinful way of life and being raised through Christ into a new righteous way of life. The Bible does not teach that being baptised is having a few drops of water sprinkled over your face or head when you're a baby who does not have a clue what it's all about. Where is the spiritual symbolism in that? Jesus himself gave an example of baptism when he was baptised by John in the River Jordan. The Bible tells us that he came up out of the water. Proper baptism is when a person is completely covered in water. In other words, they are submerged. Only then does baptism have any real significance. And what about the temple and tabernacle services? Are they of any significance to the principal doctrine of forgiveness of sins through Jesus? Certainly they are. If you remember, these services were instituted by God as a shadow or a type of what was to come. They were instituted to show how the sin problem would be dealt with. When a person was convicted of sin and wanted to make good to be forgiven, he had to take a perfect male lamb or young goat and in the presence of a priest in the temple courtyard lay one hand on its head and with the other cut the throat of the animal so it bled to death. Just the thought of that makes one shudder. But to lose a valuable lamb was a double blow. You see, forgiveness is very costly. That lamb pointed forward to Jesus, who wasn't just an animal. He was God who came to earth and lived as a man. He was put to death by his own people, the Jews, although he was innocent of any sin. It was his blood that flowed out of his body and his life that was given in exchange for our lives. Forgiveness is costly. It cost the life of God who willingly did this for you and me. Fortunately, Jesus on the third day rose from the dead and is now in heaven ministering for us, for we are still affected by sin. We'll have a little break and go on straight afterwards.
You know, anyone who says the old temple services have no meaning have really an extremely basic concept of what the good word of God is about. Although we no longer have to make animal sacrifices to atone for sins, the temple services teach us the costly nature of forgiveness and enrich our understanding of the gospel. I get the idea that some Protestant churches never teach anything beyond the gospel, the sacrifice of Christ. They have a very limited understanding even of that, unless they understand those supporting doctrines. For many of them, they might as well tear out most of the pages of their Bibles, as they don't use those sections of Scripture. Unfortunately, they are missing so much. Now what about the doctrine of creation? The Bible clearly says that God created the heavens and the earth. In Hebrews 1, John 1 and Colossians 1, there are clear statements that the world was made through Jesus Christ. He is God along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So many otherwise sincere Christians today have been deceived by humanism, that is, by the theory of evolution which says living and non-living things came into existence on their own with no plan and no external intervention. How anyone can believe such stuff is beyond me. I regard evolution as pure deception that has swept millions of gullible people along in its tide. But how does the doctrine of creation fit in with the primary doctrine of salvation through Jesus Christ? Very simply and very importantly. The fact that Jesus was the creator tells me that he loves his creation. He has tender compassion for the, compassion for the beings he created in his own image and he is not willing that anyone should perish. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Not only that, but the doctrine of creation tells us of the might, the power, the majesty and grandeur of God. It tells us that this mighty being, the ruler of the universe, the one who is omnipotent and who is far, far above human beings in power, capability, wisdom and intellect, that he has an infinite love for us. It reiterates what is written in the book of First John which tells us God is love. There's no love in evolution, but there is infinite love in creation. And then we come to what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. Did God wipe them out and zap them on the spot? No. He cared for them, clothed them in skins and gave them time to realise that he loved them very much. 
He gave them time to reconsider what he was like, and he gave them time to realize that they had been deceived by their and our enemy, Satan. So, what about the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus? You know, and this is supported by the Apostle Paul, if there were no second coming, Jesus' sacrifice and this business about being a Christian would be a total waste of time. But Jesus is coming again. We have that sure promise in several passages in the Bible, in John 14, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. The sacrifice and substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross is not enough. That was the victory part, victory over Satan and sin. What is yet to come is the celebration when God's faithful people are taken home to heaven. What beautiful thoughts are expressed about this in Revelation 21, verses 3 to 5, where it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things is passed away. No, my friends, Tony Palmer was wrong. Doctrine based on what the Bible says is very important. It gives a solid foundation for our faith. It's not something that can be dispensed with lightly, even though such people as Tony Palmer and others would like to push it into the background. Doctrine was the principal issue leading to the Protestant Revolution, and doctrine will continue to play a powerful part in defining who is a true Christian in future times. You see, those who remain faithful to God in the end times are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Don't be deceived, my friends. There is also false doctrine, error, taught as truth, because Satan is also at work in the church as well as outside. So how can you avoid being deceived? Jesus gave the answer in Matthew twenty six forty one, when he said, Watch and pray. Dear friends, I continue to urge you to read and study your Bible that way you will find the way that leads to eternal life. Read your Bible as though your life depends on it. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you can join me again next time for another in the series, Give Me the Bible. And until then, I wish you God's blessings 
and God's peace as you continue to take an interest in God's book, the Bible. Each day I do a golden